so the words will be right there. Uh, so let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, thank you for that amazing prayer. Thank you for the power of it and the simplicity of it and how it encourages all of us to come into your presence and pray. And God, we pray that your will would be done on this earth, especially in our lives, Lord. And we ask that as we open up your word this morning, that we'd be ready to receive it. So we love you, Jesus. Thank you that you're right here, right now. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Well, we have been in a series entitled Questions by Jesus. And anybody know how many questions Jesus asked in the four Gospels? Any idea? Anyone know? It's pretty amazing. 307 questions. Nick, for, I thought for sure you'd get this one, Nick. I thought for sure you'd get that one because you're so far from the answer on the other one. But 307 questions in the four Gospels. So this is going to be a very long series, obviously. No, we're not going to do all the questions. But we did start off with this question. Who do you say that I am? And remember, this is the most important question anyone will ever be asked. Who do you say Jesus is? And your answer is the most important answer you will ever give because it will determine your eternity and your connection with Jesus and your peace with God. That you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die on the cross for our sins. That He is the Lamb of God who took the penalty for you. He took your place your penalty, and by faith in him, your sins are nailed to the cross with Christ and you are forgiven, adopted into the family of God. You have an amazing hope today, an amazing future in Jesus Christ. And we know it will happen. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise you from the dead. The most important question anyone has ever been asked, who do you say Jesus is? Second one we talked about last week, do you want to be healed? It's a really important question. Because some people come to Christ but don't want to change. They hold back. They want to live in their negative comfort zone. Jesus wants to heal us in every area of our lives. The third question is the one I want to deal with today. It's this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Great question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Sobering question for me and I hope for you as well. It challenges our obedience to Christ. It challenges the next step that we take after salvation. Right? We know we don't become saved by our good works. We all know that. I hope you all know that. But in response to what Jesus has done for us, we want to be like him. We want to be like Jesus. We want him to change us. The bottom line of our talk today is this. The lordship of Christ is a present reality. Right now, Jesus is Lord of the universe. He is. But he doesn't force himself as Lord of your life. You have to give him that control. But it is a present reality whether a person acknowledges it or not. In Philippians chapter 2, right, it says that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall what? Bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And my hope and prayers, every one of you today, 
would bow willingly before the Lord. You would gladly get on your knees before him and bow, but there will be some who will not, but they will still bow to Jesus Christ one day because he is the Lord of the universe. Understanding the concept of lordship, the bottom line says, and how it relates to our salvation and our walk is an essential component of our faith as Christians. See, the whole concept of Jesus being Lord, he says, why do you call me Lord? Well, what is the lordship of Christ? What does that mean? Many people mess this up. Many people get this wrong. They err on one side or the other of this question. And so Jesus addresses it. Like it, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. I have my Bible down here. Let me go get it. Luke chapter 6, verses 46. Great passage. Luke 6, 46. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. Page 863 in the chair Bibles. 46 says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I, use, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. Jesus starts off by asking this amazing question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Then he gives the analogy of building a house on a foundation or building it not on a foundation. If you've ever bought a house and you're doing a walkthrough of the house, you know if somebody says to you, hey, this window's broken, you're like, I can fix that. Uh, the carpet is dirty, I can fix that. Uh, the door doesn't close properly, I can fix that. But if somebody says to you as you're walking through a house, the foundation is broken, what should be your response? Move on, right? You're moving on. You're not going to buy that house because if the foundation is broken, that's a major, major problem. The same is true with everyone who lives on this planet. If they build on the wrong foundation, if their foundation is broken, it's a major problem. Uh, I think I've shared with you, I did a summer of work as a mason's helper, one of the hardest jobs I ever did. This guy would lay block for foundations. One of the hardest jobs I ever had, mixing cement all summer, carrying blocks down into the foundation hole all summer. It confirmed my call to be a pastor. It was just, I'm like, okay, I'm going to the ministry. But wow, what a tough job. But it, the guy kept saying, he kept telling us this, a little problem now, because he was a perfectionist, a little problem now becomes a, what, bigger problem, a huge problem later on. So he wanted to make sure it was perfect. And I want to tell you today, we serve a God that lays for us an amazingly perfect foundation for our lives. And I want to ask you today, why do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says? Here's the first point I want to make, and it's in your notes. It's this. It's imperative to understand lordship and how it relates to salvation. It's imperative to understand that. Because you cannot come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I want you to be my savior I want all the blessings of salvation. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to be anything like you. I don't want to be like you. You cramp my style. I don't want you to rule my life. That's not how you come to Christ. You come to Christ saying, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, both together. That's what Jesus is really talking about here, right? 
Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? It's Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can see how important it is to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Back in Illinois, I had a pastor who was right down the street from the church that I planted. And we had lunch one day. And we were talking, and he said, well, Mel, I don't agree with your theology. I don't agree with your teaching on this certain aspect of lordship. And I said, what don't you agree about? He said, well, let me give you an example. He said, my brother prayed to receive Christ 35 years ago. He prayed the prayer. He hasn't changed his life at all. He's still living in sin. He's still, he hasn't changed his life one bit. But I believe with all my heart that we prayed that prayer 35 years ago. He will go to heaven. I said to that pastor, if that were my brother, I'd be very, very concerned about his salvation. Because what do you do about Romans 10, 9? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, what do you do about the fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to bring about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Against such things there is no law. If he's not changing at all, is the Spirit really inside of him? See, that's easy believism. That's praying a little prayer, thinking I'll get enough of Jesus to go to heaven, but I don't want to be anything like him. I said, if that was my brother, I'd be very concerned about his salvation. See, what is Jesus is Lord? What does that all mean? See, following the resurrection, the term Lord became more than an indication of devotion and respect. As you know, in, in ancient times, people were called lords if they controlled a large piece of land and had many uh, slaves working for them. But in Jesus, it's much more than that. It's much more than control or wealth. It's much more than even devotion or respect. See, stating Jesus as Lord became a way of recognizing not only his position of authority. Remember that Great Commission? We, we talk about it a lot right here, go into all the world. Right before that, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me in what? in heaven and on earth. Think about that. If you said that, if you said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, they would have you locked up. You'd be, in, you'd be, you'd be designated insane. But Jesus said it and he had it. All authority has been given to Jesus. That's why he's Lord of this earth, Lord of the universe. But more importantly, the word Lord also speaks to his divinity, his God in flesh standing that's what makes him worthy. We talked about this last week. That's what makes him, makes him worthy to take the sins of the entire world upon himself. See, that's so core to the doctrine of our faith. Jesus is Lord. Acts 16.31, as the church was exploding in numbers, people were saying, what must I do to be saved? This was the answer. And they said, believe in the what? The Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Anyone in your household who believes in, the, in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, and everyone else in your household. It applies to them as well. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. And that truly speaks to the divinity of Christ, especially when you look at parallel passages in the Old Testament that we're to regard Jesus as holy. Well, when we look at a passage, for example, like Isaiah 8, 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. 
And by the way, when you see, and I talked about this uh, probably about a month ago, a reminder, when you see the word LORD in all caps in the Old Testament, all capital letters, that tells you what? In the Hebrew, it was the name Yahweh in that passage, right? The name Yahweh was used there. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. The same command is made of Jesus. Another verse that supports the deity of Christ. See, the reality is this. Our Lord's words about eternal life were invariably accompanied by warnings to those who might be tempted to take salvation lightly. Those people who say, hey, Jesus, I want to be saved, but don't want to follow you. In essence, that's what they're saying when they live a life of disobedience. They, They take that salvation very lightly. He taught that the cost of following him is high. And the way is narrow, and few there be that find you. Remember Jesus' words? He said, narrow is the gate, and difficult, hard the way, that leads to salvation, and few there be that find it. If I had ten apples today, and I gave you a few, how many would that be? Yeah, two, three. If I gave you five, that would be half. If I gave you seven or eight, that would be most. But Jesus said, few there be that find it. Wow sobering statement about Jesus from Jesus about how many would find the narrow gate and then he said this wide is the gate and easy the path that leads to destruction and many there be that find it for me that's a sobering message to make sure that I do salvation God's way that I don't come to God with my terms hey God you're my genie in the bottle if I rub the bottle the right way I'll get every one of my wishes And yet people come to God like that. I've had people say to me, Mel, I tried the God thing, I tried the Jesus thing, it didn't work for me. I said, what didn't work? What were you expecting? Well, I thought he'd solve all my problems. I thought I'd get everything I'd want. And we know that's not what the Bible says. See, he came to Christ with the wrong expectations. I was at a men's retreat. I think I've shared this with you as well, but I think it's important to illustrate the point. This, we were at a men's retreat, and we were saying, why did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Not the how, but why did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? A couple guys shared. Then one guy said, I came to Jesus Christ to please my wife. And then he thought about it for a moment and said to us, I just realized I came to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And he actually broke down in tears in that circle of guys that were at that retreat and decided at that moment he needed to pray to receive Christ for the right reasons, not to just please his wife, but because he believed that Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. See, if we come to Christ, we have to come to his, in his terms. We have to come to Christ believing his word and doing it his way. See, here's some premises that I think are very important in understanding what it means to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Premise number one, we're saved by faith with a commitment to follow and change. You know, this pastor down the street said, well, that's a work salvation if you have to come to Jesus believing in him as Lord. I said, no, it's not. It's simply an acknowledgement of saying, Jesus, you're worthy to be followed. And I I gave him this illustration. If I were looking for someone to hire and I asked you, if I hire you, will you follow my direction as your boss? And you said yes. 
Does that mean I have to pay you for that? Is that a work that you've done? No, it's just acknowledging that if you were hired by this company, you would follow the direction of your boss. The same is true in coming to faith in Christ. We receive him as our Lord and Savior. It entails no work whatsoever. We are saved by faith total faith with a commitment to be like Jesus. Jesus, you are worthy to be followed. I want to be like you. That's the commitment that we make as believers in Christ. It, it's a word repentance that's talked about a lot along with salvation. Here's premise number two. Salvation is the result of God's work on the cross, not our works. I hope we all know that. That's a major doctrine that we teach here often. Salvation is the work of God. He sent his son. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose again from the dead by the power of God. He offers us this free gift that we can't pay for. And if we try to, we ruin the gift. But we still come to Jesus acknowledging, Lord, I want to be just like you. You gave your life for me. Now I give my life back to you in return as I live for you in my life. As a result of the salvation I've already received. Here's premise number three. A faith that truly saves you is a faith that changes you. It changes your inner person. You're changed from the inside out. We all know it's hard to change someone from the outside in. If they don't want to change, they're not going to change. But when you come to Jesus, you say, I want to be changed, God, from the inside out. I want you to renew my heart. And I realize that faith without works is dead, right? That's the whole teaching of James. James, if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 2. The whole teaching of James was a bit controversial. People misinterpreted it, but I think it's really, really clear. It says this in James chapter 2, uh, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In essence saying, I believe in God, but I'm not going to change. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for their body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What he's saying is simple. If you have true faith in Jesus, you want to be like him. Another illustration I use, my boys love basketball. They have their favorite basketball players. I don't have to force them to be like their favorite basketball player. They do it automatically. They dribble like that person. They shoot like that person. They want to be just like their hero. In the Christian faith, it's obvious who our hero is. Who's the person we want to be like? It's Jesus. And it's a natural, logical next step after your salvation. That faith is going to change you. Faith is going to make you more like Jesus because we all know we need to grow up in our faith and be more like him. Here's premise number four. Saving faith acknowledges that Jesus is worthy to be followed. That he's the Lord of your life. And you're not ashamed of it. I'll share that often with people that I'm sharing my faith with. People say to me, well, how can you believe that? How can you believe that? you got to believe like what, what the Bible says to get to heaven. Because I'm a follower of Jesus. You may follow other teachers, but if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to follow his words and what he said. These aren't my words. These are the words that come right out of the teaching of Jesus. And we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. That's why we believe this. The next premise is this. True believers will love Christ and seek to obey him in everything. You know, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. Another passage. 
John uh, chapter 14. You know, that's a, a really well-known passage. It starts off, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Good news, right? Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. In, in our world today, in our country today, there's so much fighting going on, so much tension, so many potential conflicts that can happen. But Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's the promise, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jump down to verse 15, same passage. Jesus says this to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my what? Commandments, exactly. It's so logical. If you love Jesus, like you say you do when you come to faith in him, he died on the cross for me. Jesus, I love you. Put my faith in you. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience will not be a negative word for you. It will be a joyful word. You'll be like, yeah, that's, that's the person I want to be like. I want to obey him. Obey is not a four-letter word to me when it comes to following Jesus. That's what a disciple is all about, to be like him. So in every area of your life, husbands, in the way you uh, do husbandry, wives, in the way you do the, the role of a wife, everything that you do, Parents, the way you do parenting. Workers, the way you work. Neighbors, the way you neighbor with one another. Everything you do is led by Jesus. You want to be like him. If somebody wrongs you, your value in your heart is this. My desire is to still have a testimony for Christ even though uh, this person hurt me and I could get even, I could get back, but my greater desire is to have a testimony and a legacy that I build for Jesus Christ rather than getting back at someone, rather than getting everything I deserve when I've been wrong. My greater desire is to have a testimony for Christ. Then the last premise in all of this is true believers will stumble but will persevere. See, the scripture teaches that if you are a true believer in Christ, if you are truly born again, made alive, God will complete that work in you. And you might think, well, Mel, I, I know people that went to church, they sang the songs, they had their Bibles, and then years later, they rejected God, walked away from the church, never to return. What's their story? Here's the story. They were never saved. They played the game, they went through the motions, but they were never truly born again like Jesus said. In 1 John 2, 19, John tells us this, that if they left us, it only proves they were never of us. They never were truly born again because God promises he will complete the work that he has begun in us. He will do that. Now, there will be times when you will stumble and you will sin, but God promises he'll come alongside of us and give us the strength to obey him. Like this passage in John 14, after he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The next verse, he realizes the struggle we might have. Oh, God, I can't. I can't do it. Here it is, verse 16, after he says, you'll love, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will send you a helper to be with you forever. That helper is the Holy Spirit. The word in the Greek here is parakletos. Para meaning alongside, kletos to be called. The Holy Spirit is called alongside you to help you and strengthen you. So if I fail, it's not God that's failed me. It's me that has failed using the power of God. We've talked about this in the past. But you don't lose your salvation every time you sin. 
And if people say to me, Mel, I don't know if I've been, I'm saved. I'm not sure. My questions will be, number one, have you placed your faith and trust in the work of Christ for you on the cross? Yes, I have. Do you sense you're changing? Yeah, I'm changing, but I'm not changing as quickly as I want to. But do you sense that you're growing in your faith? Yeah, I do. If you sense that growth and change in your life, and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be confident of this, that you are saved, that you are born again, that God has made you alive together with him. Don't doubt your salvation. Go back to the fact of what scripture says and hold on to it. See, recognizing Jesus Christ as Lord, there's a next logical step. It's this, to nurture a heart of complete and total obedience. That you're saying today, Jesus, you're worth following and I will obey you. It may not be perfectly, but I'm going to sense you growing me up and changing me. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This God that you have a relationship with is worth following. This God that you have a relationship with is worth deepening that relationship with him and growing up and getting deeper in your obedience to Jesus Christ. So the next challenge you have, the next time you're hurt by someone, the next time you're wronged by someone, the next time you're tempted to do something that you know disobeys the word of God, that you'll feel the conviction and power of the Holy Spirit to steer you in the path that God wants you to go. And if you fail, you learn from it. God will bring you back on the path and seek to grow you up and make you stronger for the next challenge that lies ahead. See, the powerful implications of the Lordship of Jesus Christ are these. Your past, forgiven. All of it, all your sins forgiven. You are holy before God when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Sin's penalty, paid in full. You don't owe anything. That's what the word justification means. Just as if I'd never sinned. Paid in full by Jesus Christ because he is Lord of this universe and has all authority to forgive sin. His perfect humanity was displayed here on this earth as he lived a sinless life, qualifying him to be that spotless lamb of God for you and for me. In the present, the reality is this. In Christ, I have all the necessary power and strength I need to live a life that follows Jesus. Since power over me is broken, I can overcome any addiction I have, any struggle I have, if I tie into the power of the Holy Spirit and take it one step at a time, take it one step at a time, plugging into a church, getting believers around me, having those who will support and encourage me. See, the reality for this implication of Jesus' Lordship is perfect authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. And then for the future, we have an unshakable hope. I hope you know this today. That as uncertain as life is, and we don't know when a tragedy may hit, but as uncertain as life is, our future is unshakable in Jesus Christ. The sin of sting, has, sin has been re removed and destroyed. Sin, sting, totally destroyed. And that's all because of God sending his son perfectly divine to die for you and to die for me. Here's the second major point. It's this. It's important to understand the practical outworking of Christ's lordship in our lives, that we live it out. See, the path of disobedience is really easy. It starts off by losing confidence in the Lord and his word, by somehow being deceived or distracted. And there are people that I've met like that 
somehow they're distracted from their walk with the Lord and they lose confidence in, in his word. You know, I, I was taught by Gleason Archer at Trinity Seminary. This man knew 27 languages. He was an unbelievable mind. Wrote a whole encyclopedia that spoke to the truthfulness of God's word. He, his, he, he was a genius and others just like him at the seminary I was taught at. So please don't think that somehow you have to throw out your brains to believe the word of God. You don't. In fact, the evidence is this, that, and this is what we say often here at Riverview, God wrote a book, you're holding it in your hands. It's his plan for our lives. Don't lose confidence in it. That loss of confidence can develop into a self-centered faith. Hey God, when are you going to serve me? I, I, I want to rub the bottle the right way and have a genie come out and give me every one of my wishes. See, that kind of self-centered faith begins to develop. And what happens after that? You begin to have a negative God evaluation. Think negatively about God. He's not doing what I want. He's not serving me like I want him to. And you're discontent in your faith. Then you isolate yourself from other believers. You dismember yourself from the body of Christ. Here's the truth of struggle as a Christian. As you face a struggle, instead of dismembering yourself and removing yourself, you want to draw near. You want to connect with other believers. You want to come to a place like this and worship God knowing that there are other people all around you who are struggling just like you are in the path of obedience. And some of these people have gone through the exact struggle that you're going through and have come out on the other end stronger and deeper in their faith. And there'll be a testimony of encouragement to you. Don't dismember yourself. And if you're like me, you've met a lot of people that will say, hey, I'm a church of one. My church is going out to nature and being with God. Now, those moments of one-on-one -on -one with God are great, but the Bible is so clear. God's path of obedience is don't forsake, Hebrews 10, 25, the assembling of yourselves together and the gifts and abilities that you've been given that I don't have are a perfect addition to the body of Christ to make it healthy and functioning in the way that Jesus intended for it to function. That's why when you remove yourself, all of a sudden those gifts and abilities are not used to serve others. And you have them. And we need them here in the body of Christ. Here's the next step down. Removes oneself from God's favor and blessing. You're, you're discouraged in your walk and you've removed yourself from God's favor and blessing in your life, which ultimately leads to a damaged legacy and testimony. That's what I talked about earlier this morning. What's the legacy you're building in your life? The testimony of your life. It should be your most valuable concern as you walk with the Lord, building a legacy of glorifying Jesus, of following him. And lastly, I want to say this. It's essential to see the value that Jesus places on being a dedicated follower. To be a follower. Don't be ashamed of that word. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. He's my Lord. That should be our desire. Now, none of us will do it perfectly. God's still shaping me and growing me up. Still working on my life. But our desire ought to be, God, I want to be one of your followers. In Luke 9, a few chapters after this one, Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me. If you were living in Jerusalem and you saw somebody carrying a cross, there would probably be one thought that would cross your mind. That one thought would be, that person is as good as dead. That's a dead person walking. 
because the Romans are experts at crucifixion. That person is about to die as good as dead. That's the picture Jesus uses of the Christian walk. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Let the world know that you are dead to your old ways, to your old self. You have found someone worth living for, that you gladly give him total ownership and control of your life because he's the perfect God that created you. And it makes total sense to do it, to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Luke 9.62, a few verses later, Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. For me as a pastor, that's one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Think about it. Put your hand to the plow. That's that moment of salvation. I'm going to follow Jesus. And you know what happens, right? If you put your hand to the plow, you've got to pick one point on the horizon and go toward it to make your furrow as straight as possible. The animal's pulling it, but you're directing it. You have your eyes on a point in the horizon. You're going right at it. Jesus says this. If you put your hand to the plow and look back, not fit for the kingdom of God. What does the looking back signify? It's looking at other options, looking at other paths, looking at other decisions you can make. When you put your hand to the plow, you say, I have found in Christ someone that's worthy of my entire life, and I will follow him as my Lord. The question is powerful. Why do we call him Lord, Lord, and do not do what he tells us? You know, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You know this story. You might have heard it before. Mary and Martha are going to welcome Jesus into their home, right? As they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Can you imagine if that happened in your house today? Hey, Jesus is coming to your living room. You want to make sure everything's perfect. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She was sitting at the Lord's feet. Perfect picture of discipleship, taking it all in. Yet, Jesus, teach me. But Martha, here it is, was what? distracted, distracted by all her serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, there's the title, Lord, right? Do you not care? What an accusation to make about Jesus. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. You know, the step beyond ignoring what Jesus says and not doing what he tells us is then telling Jesus what to do, like Martha does here. Lord, Tell her to help me. I'm taking over this situation. You're not running it like you. I want you to. That's a really negative step to take, right? And you can sense the love of Jesus when, she, when she, he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that part, and it will not be taken away from her. Today, as you uh, leave this place, my desire would be that we would have that balance of a heart that loves God and a life that serves God. A heart that says, Jesus, you're worthy to follow and I give you my life. And in every compartment, every area of my life, I want you to be Lord. I want to do it your way. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. And as we uh, think about the concept of lordship this morning, can you say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Lord. Take control of my life. 
And if you maybe came to Christ for all the wrong reasons and you know you never really gave him your life and your heart and your will, that today you can do that. Say, Jesus, I, re I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I confess that you are my Lord and believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. It's the amazing gift of God that he desires to give everyone. Lord, we love you today. We say with everything within us that you are worthy to be followed. You are our Lord. Help us, God, in our obedience. Help us to follow your instruction. Help us not to be ashamed of it. Help us to hold our heads high, knowing we follow the God of this universe and you hold all authority in your hands. Lord, we love you today. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Well, we have elders up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on. Please greet one another and live this week. All for him. God bless you. See you on the patio.